Amen. You may be seated. A psalm about the faithfulness of God protecting his people, watching over them, and he protects and watches over them even when they're not in Jerusalem, even when they're captives or at least strangers in a strange land. And that is what we're reading about in Esther. In your little uh, study sheet here, where would we place the story of Esther? Probably uh, in around the third beginning in the third year of Ahasuerus, but going on actually for a few years beyond that, actually into seventh and eighth year probably of Ahasuerus. And that puts it roughly between the first return under Ezra and the second return under Ezra. There were actually three major migrations of the Jews back to, uh, back to Israel, back to uh, uh, the land uh, from their ba- Babylonian captivity. The, the third one was, uh, was with Nehemiah. On the first return, there's only about 50,000 people that returned. There are still lots, actually the majority of Jews are still living in Babylon, which is not Babylon now, it's the Medo-Persian Empire. Remember, Belshazzar was conquered and, and lost the empire. I do want to uh, draw your attention to a, a statement from our Westminster Confession of Faith. You'll see that in the paragraph that says, what can Christians learn from this book? And we can learn that God always will preserve his covenant people. We learn this through reading the book, but we also understand this. Our Westminster Confession, chapter 5, paragraph 7, states, As the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, so after a most special manner it taketh care of his church and disposeth all things to the good thereof. And this story of Esther is a specific example of God providentially caring for his church even when that church is under his hand of judgment, he takes care of it. He preserves it. Well, no more of me. Let's read the book of Esther. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, In the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media were the nobles, and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple, just silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. 
For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women of the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zethar, and Karkas, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marsena, and Memokan, the seven princes of Persia and Medea, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Memokan said in the presence of the king and the officials, Not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, for the queen's behavior will be made known to all women." causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day the noble women of Persia and Medea, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So, when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memucan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. After these things... When the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women." Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be, be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. 
He was bringing up Hadassah, that is, Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Hegai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Hegai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace— and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus after being twelve months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Ab Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the, th the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. See how they dealt with crime back then. <laughs> After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. 
But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress this king, the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast poor, that is, they cast lots, before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad, and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries." So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces, and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script, and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion." When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hafak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was. 
and why it was. Hafak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hethak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And Esther spoke to Hethak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days." They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on, the royal on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled." Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. 
And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. On that night, the king could not sleep. <clears throat> My interjection here. Just by chance. Do you believe in chance? I believe in providence. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, as they were read before the king. And it was found within how Mordecai had told about Bigthana uh, and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to, the one, of, to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is, to the Jew is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, 
What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. And King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen, and the king arose in his wrath from the wine-drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. The king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told him, had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes... Let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in the, all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people, or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews." But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the twenty-third day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. 
And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that they used in the king's service, bred from the royal studs, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. A copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was a there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Now, in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Parshandatha, and Dalphon, and Aspatha, and Poratha, and Adalia, and Aradatha, and Parmashta, and Arasai, and Aradai, and Vaisatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Amadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day the number of those killed in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? And it shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month, 
of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made a day made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns had the 14th day, hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts for, of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the fourteenth day of the month Adar and also the fifteenth day of the same year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the months that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is, lots, to crush and to destroy them, but when he came before the king, he gave orders in writing that this, his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term poor. Therefore, because of all that was written in the, this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews." nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting, the command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land, on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people.
I need a drink. I'm sorry. <laughs> there is a literary device that is very prominent in this story. Anyone know what it is? Never heard of irony? <laughs> and what is it? What 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 are some of the elements of the story that are ironical? Well, Haman being hanged on the gallows. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't hear him. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because you, you feel the, I won't say necessarily humor, but the irony of the situation where Mordecai thinks, or Haman thinks that the king is going to honor him. And he makes all these lavish suggestions to the king about what should be done to the man whom the king wants to honor. And just then the king says, good, do this for Mordecai. You imagine Haman's heart missing a beat right about then? Oh, no. And of course, what he thinks is going to be his exaltation actually becomes an incredible embarrassment to him. And I think then he realizes perhaps that all of his plans are going to fall apart. And then when he goes back home, the same people who were advising him as to what he should do are now saying, oh, you're done. You're toast. Stick, in a, stick a fork in you. You're done. Uh, and, and again, this story is, as you read this story, you, re, you realize that this, this was written after these events. It was probably written to explain to the Jews the origin of the holiday of Purim. What was the history behind this holiday? And here's the history. But of course, it teaches us something too, doesn't it? Can you think of times in the church's more recent history where God has intervened to preserve his church. You ever heard of the Spanish Armada? The Spanish Armada was actually sent against England to reimpose Catholicism back on England. Conquer England, reimpose Catholicism on, the, on this rebellious nation led by Queen Elizabeth. And the Spanish Armada never made it, did it? There was no way that England could have gone up against this huge, largest naval invasion force in world history up to that point. Up to that point. But just as they're approaching England, hurricanes and storms batter them. The English had small ships, and they went in and out among the big Spanish galleons and destroyed many of them. But they were blown off course. They were sent to the rocks. They never got to England. And some people say, well, that was just the storm. No. That was God preserving the truth that had risen in the course of the Reformation and preserving his people. God does preserve his people. Haman was not the first, nor was he the last, to try to annihilate God's people or particularly the Jews. And there have been those that have tried to annihilate them in other periods of time. There have been those that have tried to destroy the church. 
When I was a young boy, we heard the stories of how Christians were persecuted in the Soviet Union, how they were sent to the gulag prison camps, how they resisted, how they formed little networks inside the camps and shared scripture with, with each other to encourage each other. Stalin and those who followed him tried to wipe out the church, but they could not. They could not. We read in Scripture some of the uh, apocalyptic passages that the beast makes war against the saints and overcomes them. And yet what happens? The saints overcome the beast. And they overcome by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. God always preserves his people. Any questions? Actually, he did. I, I think so. Yes, half of them were, about half of the Jewish population was wiped out. But they were preserved. They came back to Israel. And it was a result of a, of a decision in the United Nations and, and so forth. And they still have opposition. But... I, do, I don't think you can pass that off as simply chance. I think it's providence. Um, I, so, yeah, yeah I, I, I think that was a harsh time, a terrible time, and yet the, the plot of Hitler and his associates, this was their final solution, the extermination of the Jews. It didn't work. It was terrible, but it didn't actually succeed. I saw a hand back here. Yeah. Yeah. A little, a little hint of that. I'm not quite sure that this is the... I, I think, look, there's history before this story. So Mordecai may have already known that Haman was a hater of the Jews, the enemy of the Jews. But where, was, where did Haman come from? He's called Haman the Agagite. Look up in your Bible your Bible uh, dictionaries, who were the Agagites? There was a long-term uh, trouble between the Jews and the Agagites. The Agagites were one of the tribes that were supposed to be exterminated by the Jews, and they were not. The Jews did not do that. Uh, one of the Canaanite tribes. Um, and Haman is a descendant. Uh who is uh, who is Mordecai's ancestor? What tribe is he from? Benjamin. He is, he's related to Saul. He's actually part of the Saul dynasty or royal family, if you will. Uh, and Kish is one of his ancestors. Saul is one of his ancestors. So Mordecai also is a is a. Uh, He's still living in Babylonia or in the in Susa, which is sometimes also called Shushan. Um, he's still living there. He has not returned, but he is apparently, even in the beginning of this story, a man of some influence and some access to the royal court, and he knows what's going on in the court um, and uh, intervenes when when he can. 
Um, but there, I, there are little hints in this story that there probably was long simmering tension between Mordecai and Haman. Mordecai knew Haman exactly who he was and what he was, what his thoughts were about the Jewish people and so forth. Okay. Yes. 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 Though I would say many, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, many Jews today are, are kind of secularized Jews. And they observe the feasts and they observe the, the holidays. But they don't know their own history. Uh, they should. Sometimes I think Christians have greater, greater understanding and sympathy for Jewish holidays than, than some of the Jews do. Some, by the way, this is a, not quite an answer, but this is kind of something that I've rolled over in my mind. How do Christians witness to Jewish people? And I think in many ways, we have to reteach them what Judaism actually was. Because they don't know anymore. They have very twisted rabbinical theories and views on what Judaism is. There are different groups, different sects within Judaism today. And it's almost like if we need to, if we're going to talk to them from the scriptures, we need to reteach them the Bible. Um, now, yes, they do celebrate Purim, and they do they do understand because it's you know it's a book of the Bible that is written and included in Scripture to specifically remind them of the historical background of this. But do they use this to honor God? Do they use this as a? I mean, as we do. I link this story to the passage in our Confession of Faith about, about God having a special providence for his church. And I think this story is an illustration of that. It's an illustration of that. Um, uh, but I, I, tragically, I think there are many Jewish people who don't even know their own professed religion. They're Jews ethnically, but not Jews with any real understanding. Paul writes, of course, that uh, there is a veil over their hearts that seems to prevent their understanding of their own books of the Bible. But when God saves them, that veil is taken away and they have understanding. Paul himself is a great example of this. Paul was a biblical scholar when he was Saul of Tarsus. He, he had his Ph.D. in Jewish studies. Uh, and and yet he did not understand the books. He did not understand the scriptures. Um, so that that's kind of a tragedy throughout Judaism, I I think. Um, I have a question for you. Why did Mordecai have to write a second edict? Why couldn't the king just revoke? Remember, Esther asks him, please revoke your edict. But he doesn't do that. He gives his signet ring to Mordecai to write a second edict, which allows the Jews to defend themselves. Why didn't the king just revoke his edict? That's right. And there's actually a reference to that in here, isn't there? So the king, the, even the king could not revoke his edict. The law of the Medes and Persians could not be altered. But he could, write a, he could issue a second edict, which allowed the Jews to protect themselves from these attacks that were coming, which is what happened. But you can't change the law of the Medes and the Persians. Even the king couldn't do that. 
Any other questions? Uh, she did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it becomes obvious as we read the story that God was with her. God gave her wisdom. She understood the, the rules of the court and how she had to respectfully approach the king. Um, and, you know, it, and she's not at all sure the king is going to hold the scepter out to her. I love the passage. I mean, it's kind of scary, but if I die, I die. What is she saying? I'm committing my, myself to God's hand. If I die, I die. It's the same thing with the three men in the furnace. Know this, O king, that we will not worship you, and our God is fully able to deliver us from the fire. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship you. Yeah, Matt. See, this is a lesson for Christians. We all talk about the rising tide of persecution. I mean, in, in a way, we have a pastor today who, who was thrown out of a, a country for being a missionary. It's rising. But that same truth that Mordecai said there is still true. It's still true. Deliverance will come. And it will come in the course of God's ordinary providence, or it will come when the trumpet sounds. But deliverance will come. Okay, we are a little longer than uh, bright at our, our time when we should close in uh, prayer. And uh, uh, actually, our final hymn. Let's, let's turn to our final hymn, number 394. 394.